as marketers, we actually use the same techniques that attackers use. And what's important is, is that how do we distinguish ourselves from the attackers? That's the fear that many people have is that where is this information coming from and where it's taking us to? Is, is it malicious? Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? You talked a lot about security not being technical first, it's, it's people first. And that really resonated with me. That's essentially how I think things should be done from a marketing perspective, it's people first. It's not about the technology. Technology will change over time, but it's always an enabler for people to be successful in their jobs. That's ultimately, and that's what we're here to support. Right. And for me, I'm always a kind of bit, you know, even I'm a researcher, but I'm also working for a vendor. So it's always finding that fine balance. And I think one of the big things for me is, and I think all organizations should have someone like me in their marketing departments to make sure that we stay honest. And that's ultimately yeah. the goal is, is to make sure that as you're creating campaigns and as companies grow, you, organizations are, you know, will, will sometimes make mistakes and, and, and put things out there that need to be changed at a later stage once you don't capture it, because, you know, organizations will grow very fast and it's, it's hard to, to sustain it. And you don't want to stop things from moving forward. You don't want to become, you know, another doctor, no, <laughs> in the organization, you want to be a, you know, a, a, how do we do this correctly? So that's what's really important for organizations to make sure that if they, they do have a strong connection between those who are security researchers and very technical focus and know the industry and making sure that marketers are not just, because we, we do have a brand image problem. We have a serious brand image problem that's been created over many years. And I really, um, there's a new book out from Dr. Victoria Baines, who was talking about, you know, that we need to change our image in security to being much more of a positive, innovative enabler than what has been historically, uh, we've been selling on fear. We, we scare companies into selling and that's not the right approach. We should be as an enablers of how to make sure that we're, how we're helping organizations be successful, how we're helping the employees do their job, how we're helping mm -hmm. organizations reduce risk. And that's ultimately kind of where the message needs to be more focused and channeled rather than um, organizations really trying to scaremongering in many cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we want to be an industry of inclusivity and diversity, but we have a somewhat, you know, a cyber bullying challenge in our industry as well, where people who, who don't like when somebody's trying to establish themselves in the industry, um, a lot yeah. of new people coming in. So that's one thing I think, you know, people behind keyboards and behind screens and social media are sometimes less moral and, you know, are willing to say things which really they shouldn't. So I think that's, mm -hmm. that's the, the, the thing, you know, and you see it all the, all the time. Uh, we, we need more people in the industry. We want this to be an industry where people want to be part of. Um, and I think for me, that's the biggest challenge is how do we get, how do we get this to be a cool industry that people want to be in 
um, and including people from all backgrounds. I mean, I, oh, yes, I'm a technical person. Um, I've been in ministry a long time, but I definitely see the need for people who have people skills, people who have communication mm -hmm. skills, people who have business skills, people who have different ideas that allow us to, you know, really think about how to be more innovative, how to communicate better with our audience. So this is the thing for me, I think is, you know, it's, it's not the nice side of the industry when you do have a lot of people in the industry who, um, are very aggressive, uh, have a bad choice of words on social media and downplay a lot of people who are doing great things. Mm -hmm. Why, why did you get into this industry? <laughs> well, I fell into it. Um, I had, it's a, that's a long story. So I've been in, it's actually getting close to 30 now, surprisingly. Oh, wow. so I started, I started my career back. I started my education back in 91 in, in the IT sector. Um, um, at the same time, I was doing a lot of internships and side jobs, um, in, in IT support, help, help desk and training. Um, and for me, you know, I had two, had two career paths. One is it was art, <laughs> ironically. And the other one was, mm. was uh, technical and I was a big gamer. I, I've been doing games ever since, you know, seven, eight years old. And back then when I was doing games, you had to, you had to type them in the computer yourself. <laughs> you didn't get them on anything. It was, you, you wrote it in basic and then you compiled it and you hoped, uh, that it would run. Um, and then you wait another month for the magazine to be re re released with an update saying we made a mistake in the original code. You need to re retype this in. So that was my early life. That was, was, was art and gaming. Um, and it was the gaming aspect, which really took over, uh, is one area that I was really, really good at and uh, decided that uh, a career in it. So the early 10, 10 years of my career was doing system administration work, um, in, in line with my university studies as well. Um, so I did computer science, I did computer studies. I also did international studies and, and, and I also did a placement in the U S for a year for part of my studies. And so that really kind of became the kind of foothold was, it was it, but it was around 2002, uh, where, um, I then transitioned from being not just a infrastructure and system administrator and help desk side of things. It was 2002 where I really decided to take, take my career in a new path, which was in security. And that's where mm -hmm. I transitioned in the security industry. So, so yeah, for a long time, um, I've seen a lot of different kind of, you see this kind of pendulum swinging every now and again, um, you know, early in my career, it was a lot about moving, you know, to, to deploying things like windows 95, windows 3.1, even, and, and, and working in DOS, um, in my early part, working a lot with mainframes, mainframes were very much, of course, that it, it was the, the cloud-like scenario, everything was centralized and everyone had edge computings and serial, you know, serial cable devices where dumb terminals were connected. And then of course we moved much more, the pendulum swung to the endpoint where we had more power in the, in the endpoints for laptops and desktops and so forth. But then of course the, the pendulum swinging back again, back into cloud, um, and a bit of a hybrid approach as well. Um, so we do see these kind of technology swings, but at the end, uh, it, what, what stays the same is the people, um, their job slightly changes and the way we deliver things slightly changes. Um, but at, at the end we're, we're here, you know, computers. And technology is here to serve people. And we have to remember that people are our customers uh, at some aspect, maybe directly or indirectly. And we have to make sure everything we do is to help them be successful. Um, make sure that we help them be successful in their jobs. And that's sometimes I wasn't happy. I remember last year when we had cybersecurity awareness month and I wasn't happy that the main, one of the main weeks and themes 
with cybersecurity first, because it's never first. You don't do security for the sake of security. Security is not the reason why we're here. Security is my skills and expertise and knowledge. I use that expertise and knowledge to help look at business problems, to help look at how people do their job, and then to embed my cybersecurity skills and knowledge into how to make what they do either operationally or what they do in the process or what they do in the job more secure. It's not to make and you know employee security professionals, it's to make sure that security works for them. And and that's sometimes we we lose that sight and vision. And sometimes it's important that we go back and we reset and we remember and we go back to the you know understanding about why we're here in the first place. So yeah, cybersecurity first was not, you know, it's great if you think, you know, if, if that is your primary role and primary goal, but it's it's not first. That's for sure. It's a supporting pillar of the business of society and in, in, in general. Uh, so right. we have to make sure that we always remember that we remember why we're here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's our skill set, It's our experience. It's not the goal. It's not, the, it's not first. What is, what is your ultimate goal that you're trying to achieve these days? My, my moral, uh, compass is make the world a safer place online and in, in life, um, is to make it a, a place where everyone has the opportunity to be what they want and be who they want in both personal life and in, in work life. So we want mm -hmm. to be a place that education and knowledge thrives on. My goal is, is to do what I can in the position I'm in and to help whether being all organizations around the world, make sure that they're able to offer services, which are more resilient, which are available and that people can live successful lives from. So yeah, my moral compass is all about doing things ethically and helping make the world a safer place online. Um, and I think that's definitely, you know, uh, um, whether it being businesses or whether it being citizens or individuals or societies, we all need to have access. We all need to have the same access and the same, same knowledge that we can share. In your experience as a practitioner along the way, what has been your number one challenge? in doing what you need to do in achieving your goal? It's a balance because the number one challenge is balancing uh, continuous learning. Mm -hmm. If you don't, in our industry, um, things change so quickly. And if you don't stay, if you don't, if you don't balance off your time into the learning part, you can quickly, you can fall very, very quickly behind. And it's also as well about communicating. It's about peers. I know that. I, I specialize in expertise in some areas, but I know I'm not the expert of everything. So it's also by creating an, a community around you that you've got peers and people who you can go to, to answer questions. Um, so you don't, you know, you don't have to be the expert. So that's one of the things is that, yes, it's, it's that continuous learning piece, which is very, very hard to maintain. And if you don't have an aspect of your percentage of what you do in your workplace allocated to continuous learning, um, you will be fall behind. Um, and, and it's, it's a challenge because, uh, you know, sometimes work takes that priority, but you have to, you have to personally allocate time for your continuous learning. Um, and I realize that, yes, this is an industry where if you, if you take a year or two and you don't learn, um, you will already be behind, um, wow. technology evolves, it comes out all the time, it updates, it changes. Um, if you look at a book from three years ago with the interface and technology, it's already a out of date. Um, you would look at the new interface of the software today and it will, you know, you will not be able to follow those books unless you have exactly the same version. So that's where fast things change. Um, and we, as people have to make sure that 
a good percentage of our time is allocated to continuous learning. I think that's fascinating given how quickly technology is changing. You always have to kind of keep, stay one step ahead of the game. I want to shift this, this question into two parts right now. It's a little bit off, off the talking points that we originally discussed, but it's no, it's no surprise that there are hordes of, of vendors out there, <laughs> right? And when you're evaluating a security product, uh, that is a challenge in, in and of itself. So I, I'll split this question into two parts. You talked about continuous learning. And yesterday I had an interesting conversation with a gentleman about educating security buyers. Mm -hmm. And he stated, there's no way in hell I'm going to teach something to you or a Chris Roberts or, or an Alan Alford, something that they already know. I mean, there's no way I'm going to teach them that. How do you propose vendors help you learn new things that you didn't know before? Because there's just hordes of mediocre information out there that they're pushing to you for attention. How do you propose they do that in order to get, you know, to help you and, and in order to get your attention? I mean, the, the, what it really comes down to, I think, is is that they, they have to understand that there's there's multiple audiences, you know, and yeah. uh, depending on which audience you will, you know, tailor your your um, explanation and, and information to that audience. And for me, I'm 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 always I, I will always learn things. There's there's you know, I wouldn't say there's nothing that I couldn't learn or or, or, or find new. Um, it really comes down to uh, how they explain it to me. Um, I can always get, you know, in a, in a specific area, I can get a new perspective on something from a different kind of viewpoint. Uh, because when we are in technology, of course, we, 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 we have our preferred viewpoint and we look at things and, and sometimes you need to sometimes look at it from different, a different person's angle. So those things that they can, you know, provide that type of, uh, a, a kind of context to me, um, there's always an opportunity for me to learn. I think it really comes down to is, uh, for the likes of me, um, remove the FUD, remove the fluff from it and really explain to me, what is it, what, what are you really doing technology wise? Um, I think that's the, you know, the audience of the FUD likes of me. And I used to do, I mean, one of the things I used to do was, uh, one of my roles for, for investors would ask me to go and walk, walk the conference, you know halls of major events, whether it being RSA or Black Hat or whatever it is, and they would ask me to walk, walk the walls, basically walk through, take a look at the vendors and try to see through the marketing message to what the, the real thing is in the background. What, what technology do they really have? And is it something of value? So we used to do this thing was, was basically, uh, uh, the vendor hall bingo. Um, and you would have basically fund technology, uh, opportunity and, and, and you go down and you basically would put them all into these different buckets. And I think it really comes down to is for the audience, like myself, um, don't try to sell me fear. Don't try to sell me on 10 minutes of my time to do an elevator pitch. Um, explain just simply what it is you're doing and what problem you're solving from a technology perspective. And that's what I look at. I look at really how it works underneath. And then it allows me to really understand about what's category that I kind of put it into and whether there's something that's unique that that vendor's providing that adds value. Um, so this is sometimes, and it really comes down to a lot of times, if you go to companies' websites, it's really hard to see through the message to clearly mm -hmm. what it is that's been done, um, and how it's been done. 
Um, and that really then allows you to see, is it something that becomes, because it, what's really important is how easy it is to deploy, how easy it is to use, how easy it is to integrate. Um, and, and also moving from one of the big things I have is around, uh, we've been in the industry of technical debt. We've been doing, we've been in an industry where we will get one tool that does one thing. Um, and rather than thinking, um, I think it was looking forward to more strategic decisions about how do we future-proof technology? How do we make sure that decisions we make today are flexible enough to change for the business and elasticity where they can actually grow with the business in the future as well? So we, we really need to, and of course the pandemic has forces into that as well, because we've had to make short-term decisions very quickly, um, sometimes with limited budgets, but we really need to move and shift our way to thinking about how do we future-proof? And that's what I'm looking at as always, uh, before even you know, um, uh, putting a, a, a technology or product into my radar, you want to get, have hands on as well. You want to, you know, it's like, it's like a test driving a car. You're never just mm -hmm. going to buy a car basically based on the pamphlet and the technology kind of specifications. You're always going to take it for test drive. Um, and that's, what's really important as well. So, so yeah. So for my type of audience is, and, and we, we get this so often, I, I'm pretty sure Chris and Alan and others, um, is we, we are the target of a lot of marketers in regards to email campaigns. And uh, it gets sometimes really frustrating because you see the same repetitive type of technique and message over and over again. Um, and, you know, I want to explain how phishing will benefit or security awareness, or can I have 10 minutes of your time to explain this? And just like, before you get, before you even get 10 minutes of my time, you want to actually explain to me first about what it is you do. <laughs> and then you, you, know, you have to earn my 10 minutes. Um, yeah. you don't get it basically. I mean, giving me a $50 voucher for whatever to 10 minutes of my time, it's not worth my time. And I won't do that. Um, what I want is I want to be educated. I want to, mm -hmm. and if you're not going to teach me something in that first email, you're not going to get my time. You're not yeah. get any allocation that, that email that you send will be basically straight into the trash bin. Um, so it's all about important about knowing your audience and making sure that your message is clear to that audience. And if there is somebody technical like myself, you want to already be earning my, my trust and earning my time in that first communication. Uh, mm -hmm. others, of course, you'll have others who are more, uh, into the business side of things and looking for uh, other types of communication. So they want to understand about what business value you're providing. Um, you, if you're targeting the operational system administration team, you want to understand about how much time you're saving them to, to, to get back. Um, so they can do other things, which they're busy doing. They want to automate, they want to do things much more integrated. So really, you know, my, my message to marketers is know your audience and, and tailor your message to those specific audiences with the value that they get out of it. Um, mm -hmm. rather than just going with this blanket statement and, you know, doing mass emailing against everybody with the same message, you're just going to upset too many more people than, uh, that what you're going to provide value to. You have all these security professionals weary of clicking on links and not even accessing email because they don't know who the hell is sending it to them. There's a lot of spam. Is it dead? It's not dead. It's just not the only one that's primarily used as, as, as yeah. much. it's still, it's still heavily used. Um, of course you've got other means of social media, uh, platforms, you've got other means of campaigns. Uh, but we also, you know, as security practitioners as well, 
when you receive, I, I hate this thing where we really get into where we fear, uh, things of links, um, <laughs> and we just have to understand about the implications and impact is before, before you click and like, you want to do your research to make sure you understand about where this is coming from. And you might want to then decide that, well, if I'm going to, this looks suspicious, I will not click in it in a main system. I will move it over to a sandbox and see what happens. We're, we're security professionals that, yes, we shouldn't be afraid of QR codes. We should understand where the QR code's taking us. Um, you know, so, so putting out link, I mean, we have to, as marketers, we actually use the same techniques that attackers use. And what's important is, is that how do we distinguish ourselves from the attackers? How do we separate ourselves? And of course, we had to provide much more trusted sources, ways that they can go and self-verify um, where the source is coming from, alternative means of going uh, to, to the, the information that you're providing. So yes, it's, it's, uh, attackers will use the same techniques as marketers. And then what? That, that's the fear that many people have is that, uh, where, where is this information coming from and where it's taking us to is, is it mm -hmm. malicious? What are those alternative means that marketers can use to give you access to information easily? The alternate means is really about providing multiple methods of sources rather than just providing a link. What you can say is if you're not comfortable going here, you can go direct to your true website and here's how you can find it manually. Um, so, you know, self-verification or here's our, uh, SSL, you know, certificate, um, so you can actually sh show it's coming from a verified, trusted, signed source. Um, so really providing multiple means of going to the same information, uh, without doing clickbait. Um, marketers tend to not want to do that because of course they lose that source they lose how, how people gain, came to that, uh, information, uh, because it, it gets around the clickbait side of things where. You want to track and you want to, to understand about where they came from. But at the end of the day, we want them to get to the information. And if we provide multiple means, yes, we might lose that original source or where they came from to get the information. However, at the end of the day, the goal is to get them to, to the information where they can make educated, wise, smart decisions. So providing means of how they can verify whether the, the URL or hyperlink or QR code is trusted. Um, we need to show them ways of manually getting to the same place. Eventually at some point in time, you know, they will, that they will put that as a trusted source, um, as a, whether it being adding that as a contact into their, uh, uh, email or into their social media. And that becomes a trusted source of information, uh, because they do see the educational knowledge and value that the business is providing, but we mm -hmm. have to provide the means of self-verification, um, and, and verifying where the source of information is coming from. I get so many of that spam per day and, I, and it takes a lot of my time to go through and verify every single one of them, but the ones that provide just a, 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 a hyperlink, um, that takes me to, uh, a, a link that redirects me to another link that redirects me to another link. I, I, I end up going directly to the URL myself and searching for it, um, rather than trusting that link. Mm -hmm. Take me through a little bit, your journey of researching for a security product. What does it look like? So what I end up doing is when I'm looking for a security product is that one is I, I want to see their main message. What's their elevator pitch. Um, and then the next thing what I tend to do is then start looking much more into the details. I look at demonstration videos that they'll have posted. Um, I will start looking at uh, data sheets, technology specifications, um, customer use case stories that they've actually provided. 
Um, so you start kind of going through all that different verification side of things. And what that helps me do is when you get into the technology piece, it allows you to see, is that main elevator pitch they're providing 100% FUD and like, you know, distant from what the technology is. Um, the closer they become together, the more trust that vendor earns from me is the more reality of what they're really telling the story to what technology they have, that trust uh, elevates up. If basically the fear of FUD is, is a stretch from what they're really doing technology-wise, it raises a lot of flags and questions. So this is really where you kind of, that initial point. So once it's enough where I see that the technology is close to the, to the message, then it's allowing me to go to the next phase, which might be as, like, oh, let's, let's take a look closer at this. Let's look at more of uh, the installation and deployment capabilities, um, the integrations. Uh, a lot of things is when you see a lot more trusted providers providing integrations and from both sides, um, if only the, the, one, the vendor is listing all these companies and you go to another company who they're listed and they have no information about that vendor, that's another flag is that if you don't have that bi-directional um, agreement or bi-directional integration, that's another one you kind of question. It means that they're still very early in their stage of, of validating their, their technology. So, mm -hmm. um, and then the next stage is really kind of getting into looking from a, a technical demonstration perspective. Um, kind of not entirely reverse engineering things uh, because of course that be, can be very gray area. But really just looking at when things are being installed, what it's really doing in the background. Um, is it easy to deploy or is it, you know, is it a very heavy lift as well? will also raise a lot of questions um, as well. So I go through this, you know, I, I like ultimately my final thing is to test drive it. I, it will not, I will not use something unless I test drive, demo, practice, and, and I have to do it myself. If, if I have to rely on someone else installing something for me, that's another flag. If, if I have to wait for someone to come in and actually deploy and install software and configure it, um, how am I going to operate and maintain it in the future? How am I going to upgrade it? Um, it becomes overly complex. So this is another thing that you want to be able to do is, is that today, the, the thing is, is, is security solutions today, they can't have a six month shelf life and I can't depend on third party sources to maintain it for me. Um, unless it's a, it, unless it's a true MSP approach that I've completely outsourced it, but I still want to have reporting visibility, um, on it. I want to start auditing capabilities of it. I want to be able to control, um, onboarding and offboarding in certain areas. And, uh, but the moment I become truly dependent, um, I, and if that also isn't, let's say portable, if, if I'm locked in, uh, one, one method of, of, uh, is, is one that's really bad practice. I'll use this as a metaphor. If you think about, uh, you're, you're going to deploy technology. If I have to change my business to actually make that technology work in my organization, that's also a major uh, flag. If, if I'm buying a car and for me to use that car in my city, if I have to build new roads just for that car to work, that's not something the organization is going to do. Um, I would rather get a car that is more kind of, let's say, less features, less costly, um, but will work in my existing roads. Um, I mm -hmm. have to change the way I do business in order for the technology to work. So there's all the things you, you go through and you want to do those different validations. Um, but ultimately, yeah, there's, there's different levels of how that vendor earns my trust, um, and different criteria that they meet, uh, for me to basically, uh, start looking at them more closely. But ultimately the first thing 
is how far the technology is away from the message. And if that's something that's always the first flag, if, mm -hmm. if all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, artificial intelligence is always, always something that I'm, I'm looking at. If I see, I go around the, the vendor booths and I, I see auto, uh, artificial intelligence, I go to, and I'm, I'm asking the question. So, okay, uh, does your product self-install and learn and, uh, do I have to, is there an interface that I even have to use? Do I mean, I, I suspect if it's artificial intelligence, I will never ever have to log into it and do anything. It should self-configure itself. Mm -hmm. And the moment you walk away from that and they're like, no, 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 it's, it, it, you have to do all these things to get it to work. And for me, okay, what you're really selling is automation. Um, but you're calling it artificial intelligence just to get on that marketing groovy train. Um, so this is really where you get into how to separate, you know, and, and there truly is organizations out there that have technology, which is getting close to certain elements that are getting close to artificial intelligence capable. I kind of call it more autonomous or, um, or advanced automation is what I tend to call it, but they are getting, mm -hmm. uh, but it's important to really try, you know, to make sure that you separate that FUD, that fluff, uh, yeah. that people try to sell. Um, I get more comfortable when people are talking about more about machine learning or, uh, deep data intelligence and, and, and and talking about much more reality. Um, and it goes the same with things like zero trust and you get into, um, what's, I mean, zero trust. Um, there's a lot of misunderstandings and misassumptions into you, you never install zero trust. What you do is you install features that help you get to zero trust operational state because zero trust is not right. zero trust is not something you check off as a box. Um, so, uh, you end up seeing that, well, what zero trust is really is about it's a mindset and how you operate your business in a secure way. That's right. It's, it's, it's all mm -hmm. it's people, technology process, and it's about how you operate your business. You can get things that help you achieve zero trust in certain areas or problems in the business, but it's not a checkbox. So organizations who go and say, we make you zero trust if you install our product, um, is all, you know, always far away. And then you also get into hundred percent protection. We will solve everything for you. Um, we stop ransomware immediately. We, you know, we, we eliminate, um, cyber attacks and you're just like, where are these people coming from? Well, what's the reality is because there is never 100% protection. It's all about reducing risk. You, you, you have to realize that where people go, uh, people plug things in, people click and stuff, people configure things where humans go, there's always going to be that risk. Um, and that's what we have to get into is we have to get into reality and we have to challenge those statements. We have to challenge them. Um, and that's what people like, like me uh, should be organizations should have someone like me either internally or externally, they can go to and say, here's our message that we're planning to, what's your input into this message, you know, and it's about, you know, how do we make sure that, okay, yes, you want, you know, and there's no problem with using any of those terms using artificial intelligence, using zero trust, using things like even passwordless, which sometimes is also a bit of a stretch as well. Um, but it's explaining the context of what you do, how you're using it to help businesses, how you translate that into reducing risk. Um, so it's about how you kind of tailor it to make sure that it's, it's more subtle, that's more specific to what you do in a context way. And that's what definitely people will see through that fear, see through the fluff. Um, and becomes much more reality, much more trust, earning tr people's trust. Again, it's, it's earning that, uh, that trust at the beginning. It really will allow people to look at it much more, uh, kind of thoroughly 
uh, I'm much more hands-on and, and getting closer to, to really uh, believing that it is a product for the business, uh, mm-hmm. product uh, as a checkbox or shelfware. So for me, it's always about really making sure that yes, and that's why I go in and uh, do the buzz, buzzword bingo in, in the halls is, is that you, you ask those questions. Um, we were on the blockchain groovy chain for a long time as well. Blockchain was a big one. And fortunately enough for me being in Estonia, I've seen blockchain been used in government institutions for a long time. So I, I, I knew its capabilities, I knew its limitations. So when people were putting blockchain enabled, uh, you know, zero trust, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, you know, hundred percent protection and we'll stop all cyber attacks. Any organization using that type of terminology is, is you, you kind of, you already lose faith in it. Um, and we really have to get in back into reality. Um, and, and really, and this is where, as I mentioned, Victoria Baines, who wrote the, uh, a book recently on this topic is we have to look at how we can change cybersecurity and, and even cybersecurity in the term itself is, is always, it can be misunderstood and misinterpreted is how we turn that into how we help the business be successful. And I don't mm-hmm. remember years ago, it, I mean, I've, I've been down this path as well myself. But it's up until a point in time where I get educated and taught about what is, you know, the more I speak with executives and boards, the more I understand about how I need to communicate effectively with them. There's a difference between me communicating with technical people and me communicating with business people. And in the business, they're always looking at return on investment. How am I helping them be successful? How am I helping employees be successful? How am I helping them do their job? I remember it was a CFO said to me, it was a CFO who actually really changed my mindset, actually made me realize for years, I thought my job was security. I, I, I was in that FUD. I was in that, you know, self understanding that I'm a security professional and I'm here to make things secure. And that was my mindset. Um, and it was about five, six years ago now, it's getting, it's getting quite long now, which is good that it means that it's, 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 it's taking its impact and affecting me, uh, in my mindset, but. The, the CFO said, you know, it's the cost of doing something versus the cost of doing nothing. And what is that cyber gap and how are you helping me be successful in the business and what's the return on investment? And it was that moment in time where I realized that actually I, I, this was a, you know, one of those, I love those lights moments where you get that idea and you're like, I'm, I can't believe that I've been going down that path for so long. And now I realize that actually my job is not security my skills and experience is security and it's all about how do I use this? How do we use this to, to, to help people be successful and, and the employees jobs is not to be secure. Employees jobs is to do their tasks successfully to help the business be successful. And sometimes it's about me watching and learning and observing employees about how they do their job. And even anything we put in place should not make their job more difficult. It actually should make it better. So when we put security in place for employees, they should actually benefit from it. They should be, you know, one of the, another metaphor, I, I use metaphors all the time. So I apologize. If an employee drives to work every day and, uh, all of a sudden you realize that the way they drive to work is, uh, is not safe. You know, it's not secure. It's a risk to the business. So you go to the employee and say, right, no more driving to work. You have to go and you have to walk five minutes to here. You have to get a bus, then you have to cycle, then you have to get a train and then you get to work because that's the safe way of doing it. That's how we're going to reduce the risk to the business. The employee's going to look at you and go, yeah, but you know, 
this way it takes me 15 minutes and now you're telling me I have to spend an hour doing my job doing that way. That makes their job more difficult. It makes them less productive, less efficient. And they're looking, they're looking at their metrics and their metrics is about how to do things more efficient, more effectively and, and, and help the business be successful. And what we're doing is we're putting things in place that is actually counterproductive to that and, and it makes an employee unhappy because they have all of these different holes and hurdles to jump through. And what really, if we were to sit down and watch and observe and understand and listen to employees, what security could have been is putting basically road bumps in a, like a slow or a, a drive, you know, a speed limit on the way to work. Um, that actually, yes, it actually would have allowed the employee to be less risk and, and safer. It might take a little bit more to do it, but you can put things in place that can actually still make that more efficient, but you're, mm -hmm. um, you're, you're keeping the employee happy and you're creating less friction and you're making the employee use security because I can guarantee if we were to force that employee down the other path, they would look for ways to circumvent it and look for ways around it and ultimately could create a bigger risk, um, than the way that they've been doing it in the past. So we have to be better. I think one of the things in our industry, we have to be better listeners to employees and to, to our customers. We have to spend more time listening to them. Um, and to be honest, you know, a, a lot of these major security events is going listen to security professionals like myself. And, and, and sometimes that's not the best thing. Some of the best things I've learned is listening to the end users, listening to victims of cyber crimes. And that's the people that should be up on the stage talking to us. Those who've lost their identity, those who have clicked in phishing, uh, uh, scams and went through the process of getting their data back. Those who have basically had data breaches. Those are the ones I find when I go to, to events, the most compelling. The ones that's not afraid to speak out and afraid to share their experience. And sometimes that's what, you know, I'm given the opportunity for, for many organizations that I've helped in the past. They've given me permission to speak in their behalf to tell their story. So I think it's really important that, you know, we as an industry diversify significantly. Mm -hmm. And we have to hear from different aspects. And we have to expand and to really understand about what are we here in the first place to do? Um, and it's not security first. All companies if with marketing teams, they need to have, they need to, to reach out to people that similar kind of as myself that do these, you know, buzzword bingos and really see through the message. Um, they all should have access to, to people like m myself and then get them on the teams and get access to them so that they can test the message before they make it public. Um, because it's, it's harder to retract and change it once it's already out there. And I've seen, I, I've, you know. I've seen it in the past and I've had to go through and get, oh, why did we pick that out there and, and, and go and, and, and try to change it and try to modify it. So we've been done that, you know, organizations I've worked in the past done that. We've done that in the past because sometimes, sometimes it does slip out. Um, but it's important to make sure the organization reacts and, and, and tries to correct it, uh, quickly. Uh, but it's better, yep. it's better to do it beforehand than try to do it afterwards. Trust me. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know what? You a, a challenge for some of us marketers. You'll be surprised how hard it is to get access to to customers because there's this block from from the customer success team. Um, you know, we don't want to ask too much of 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 the the end user and the customer. We're already asking mm -hmm. them to you know do X Y Z and do a testimonial, and I just want a fifteen minute conversation to understand a little bit you know, what works for them, what ticks, what doesn't. 
Why do you think that is? And is that a stigma or a stereotype that we're asking too much of you all? Um, well, definitely 15 minutes is a lot of time. Um, like even, even I get people going five, 10 minutes, but it, it's never five, 10 minutes. Um, yeah. that's just, you know, that's just to kind of, to get you to open your door. Um, and, and for people to kind of do this quick pitches before you can get there, you have to earn the trust. And you have to have something of but, value. That's, that's the, but, the key thing is, is that in that initial communication, there has to be something for both, um, that, uh, is, is, and, and whether it being knowledge, because what I feed on is knowledge, uh, mm -hmm. you know, giving, so for example, you know, just simple things is, is getting access to educational resources. One thing that I will queue at, at an event is for a book. Um, if I go to a conference and I see there's a book of value, um, that is really interesting. I will queue for that. I won't queue for a t-shirt, uh, but I will queue for a book. So if you have things of, of knowledge and value that can open those doors, that's one of the key things is that how, and, and that's one of the things that I've done is I've wrote several books that is all of, and it's, it's purely educational and that's what opens the doors. That's what people, and, and it's more about, here's something of knowledge. When you have these questions, I'm here to answer and have that direct feedback. So it's also the rever reverse situation where I'm not reaching out to people. What I'm doing is providing something of knowledge. And when they have the time, my doors open for them to come. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a case of making sure. And, and that, that it is the long-term kind of approach. Um, uh, so, you know, going to, to, to do that kind of fire kind of round one year, specifically trying to reach out to so many people and, and get their response is it has to be a long-term strategy into how we build that up. Many of us need to get more comfortable with long-term strategy. I mean, we're all, we're all under pressure to get results quick. So I always say pair the long-term strategy, but you're going to see more exponential growth once you start hitting that cadence and, and that point of, of return. Um, versus slower incremental growth. It's, it's definitely a balance between, you know, taking multiple tactics, you know, don't just, just rely on one, uh, but take multiple tactics and, and, and all the multiple levels as well. Um, yeah. it's, it's important to kind of look at this from a short term. Some, some businesses have to do that short term goals and metrics, um, uh, in order to meet, but it's important to also have a balance between the long term as well. Um, yeah. cause it, you know, you can't, that, that short term strategy is, is stressful. It burns mm -hmm. people out from both, <laughs> from every angle. Um, and, and you end up, yeah, you end up with a, a, a big red face and a palm in your face all the time. So, um, uh, it, it's definitely a balance, uh, a balanced mm -hmm. approach and having something of more strategic, um, and, and, and going that value-based approach as well. It's, yeah. uh, it's much more, uh, it builds reputation a better reputation, um, than basically you get from, I mean, I, I do get lots of emails from, from vendors and you look at it and you, and, and you can see the difference between how people email and the tactics they use. And you see certain vendors just taking that same tactic all the time. And you're like, how does this even work? And yeah. You might get, okay, one out of one out of nine responding. Um, but for those who actually take the time and do the value-based approach, um, they'll get more responses from me um, and more mm -hmm. responses from the people that makes the difference. Um, that is the decision makers, that is influencers in the business. 
yeah. you get to the right people when you use the right approach. But that one person that you might be successful is not the right person for you potentially. Um, so you, you might end up wasting your time as well. I want to have a little bit of fun now. I mean, this was all fun, but let's get a little bit provocative here with the shit list quick fire. Okay. I'm, I'm creating an anonymous shit list to understand what are some of the worst things practitioners have experienced from vendors. So what's that one worst thing you've experienced that a vendor has done to you? Um, I mean, it comes into some of the poor email, you know, messages that, uh, and the terms of words that they use uh in in those messages like where they start they they send one email and the, and the, the end up might be a series of five or six emails that you get and it really this really starts to frustrate you know frustrate me because they start actually turning on you in the email threads so the first thing is can i get 10 minutes of your time um because i've got something of value to provide that won't explain how we're providing this you know artificial intelligence, machine learning, zero trust, like, you know, solution. And so without providing any, any, just any context or any problem being solved, they're just selling, they're selling technology and not solving a problem. And then very quickly, if you don't respond within a day or two, all of a sudden they start saying, okay, was it, I, I guess, uh, was it, uh, you, you're, they start saying, you know, you're too busy or you, they're like start blaming you, uh, for not giving you, them your time. And that really is, gets frustrating because they start becoming nasty in the communication to you, uh, to try and make you feel bad. Um, and I think that's definitely, I mean, this is, it's going back into that when I, one thing that I mentioned earlier, but this whole thing that the one thing I hate in our industry is bullying and fear and putting other people down and using that in your kind of marketing tactics is, you know, what you're doing is you're doing psychology, you're using fear and you're making people feel bad so that they can contact you to get 10 minutes of your time. That is for me is the worst tactics ever. Um, and it really, it, it, it angers me (laughs) those techniques. Um, cause ultimately it's, it's, it's my time, which is valuable. Uh, mm-hmm. and to try and make you feel, feel bad by not giving a person who doesn't fold any trust up at any time is the wrong thing to do. And there's, there's, I mean, there's some large vendors who take that tactics. Um, and, uh, I think that they, they should really look at hard look at themselves. Um, I think it'd be good to start report, having a way of reporting it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, not so much, you know, one is reporting back to the vendors to say, you know, like we do with, uh, vulnerabilities, here's your marketing techniques. Is this something you're comfortable with doing? Maybe there's this disconnect between the management team and those who are doing the campaigns. Maybe there's no communication there. Um, maybe people's left to do their own types of messages. Um, so I think it's important, almost like a kind of, uh, uh, was it the vulnerability kind of reporting, um, system, but for marketing campaigns, um, if you would like to report that to me. Uh, privately, I've actually reached out to competitors of mine and other vendors who have been way off, like way off in their outreach, not just to me, but to other buyers and have politely called them out. So 
feel free to shoot that over to me and I'm happy to reach out to them because I do think that one, it is unfair to you all, but I also think that there are second chances and those who have approached in maybe an unethical way or the wrong way should learn how to do it the right way. So I'm happy to reach out to them as well and, and help them uh, I, I think get the feedback. You're absolutely right. I think this is important to provide feedback to the organizations so they can, they can, yeah. they, they can correct it. And that's one thing, you know, yeah. I've, I've had as well, if, you know, I, I can tell you, I've done this for a long time. And of course, there's been organizations I work with that, yes, we have, you know, sent out the message and it hasn't been really properly vetted by people like myself. And therefore we had to do that course correction, but it's better for us to have people directly feedback. And even I, you know, I remember in the past, Chris came to me and said, he saw something on a message and said, what the hell? And I'm like, thank you. It will be fixed. And we fixed it. And, and that's where you get that opportunity is, is that you, but you had to have that feedback loop. You have to have mm -hmm. to do that course correction and, and mm -hmm. it costs for the business to, to make those changes. And for me, it's important to have, you know, people like Chris in our lives who, who he was always direct and honest and others and Alan and, and uh, everyone I work with, uh, and his peers, that's important for them to have a channel, um, uh, to, to provide that direct feedback, um, and mm. be able to, to give organizations the ability to look at that and say, is that something that we we're comfortable with or not? And change the direction, change the course and, and, and come up with something that's much more, uh, less, fund, less fear and more value. Uh, cause, yeah. cause we need, we need to be. We need security industry to have a image change that we are here to solve problems. We're not here to scare you into buying something that ultimately you may never use. Um, you know, we have to separate ourselves from, from the likes of, you know, the, the insurance industry and, and the financial side of things where they always fear you into, to getting something that is overpriced and over, over kind of, uh, values and we have uh, to change the security industry being more value driven mm -hmm. or, uh, kind of business focused and people focused than it mm -hmm. is, uh, on the other side. And that's where, yeah, mm -hmm. that's where the buzzword bingo comes in. Um, that's, <laughs> it's a fun game. Um, it's, it's always interesting what you see. And, and then of course, yeah, when there's a new buzzword comes out and I'm still waiting for this year one, I think it's, uh, this year one's probably cyber war. Um, it's going to be the, the, the kind of main one that we'll see. Um, we're definitely in the information war today, uh, cyber wars, bit of a stretch, but, uh, mm -hmm. we're definitely in the information war, but you'll see companies using cyber war tactics. Is there a repository of those buzzwords that we could all take a look at, or is that <laughs> stored somewhere? I think it's, it's all... um, for me, it, it just comes into when you hit, you know, the, the trends coming through, um, probably yeah. the, the Gartner hype quadrant or hype trends is sometimes you, you use that as a, as a, as a baseline for the, for the buzzwords. Um, uh, so their hype trends, uh, chart that they have. Um, but it, it just comes down to more of what the, the, the common message you'll see, you know, companies come out with. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, I'm still waiting to see this, this year's one. Um, you know, the, the last, the last couple of years has mostly, mostly been driven by the pandemic. Um, yeah. side of things, but, uh, it'd be interesting to see what this year's takes us. I guess RSA and black hat and other major conferences will, you know, we'll start saying what's, what's the most common word that's used from vendors from a, you know, their, their booth kind of messaging, um, mm -hmm. will be the one that kind of determines that. Let's flip it on its head. I like to end off on, on a very positive note. What's one thing a vendor has done that made you feel really good? 
I think we are, we are improving. I mean, I have to tell you that over the past probably 10 years that I, I mean, I, myself and Chris and others, we do these conferences every year and year and, and you'll always get one that kind of is really stretching their, 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 the message. Uh, but we are improving. We are getting better. People are listening. Organizations are listening. They're changing the marketing messaging. So it is, it is a slow trend and you'll get a lot of smaller companies who kind of like are just trying to catch up and, and mature. Mm-hmm. The message is changing and it is evolving, is getting better. I think the one thing for, for me um, that is the positive note from vendors is really kind of just making, making it much more of a polite and way of communicating, making me feel um, that they're providing value and education. Rather than trying to sell me something, they're teaching me something. The most valuable thing in our world is time. I have limited amount of time. You have limited amount of time. Everyone on this earth, the most valuable asset that we all have is time. And the thing that we do the most kind of is, is the most we use our time the best we possibly can is how we live our lives to the fullest. So yes, as I mentioned, wait, me wasting my 10 minutes and 15 minutes with like multiple vendors is a waste of my time. Um, I should be using that to fulfill as much as possible, but vendors who provide me with resources of knowledge, that is where I can actually make a decision of whether I will actually learn something of value that helps me with my job that actually helps me be successful. So for vendors out there, don't try to, to waste my time, try to make me more knowledgeable, create content that educates me and educates me in where I can decide how to use my time. Mm-hmm. Um, podcasts are great because it allows me to do multiple tasks in you know, multiple tasks. I can listen while I actually do other things. Um, and that's why, you know, podcasts is a great way it, 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 it teaching and, and sharing knowledge. Um, but yeah, the most valuable thing you can do for me is educate me, but don't try to get 10, 15 minutes of my time. Um, because that's wasting it. Uh, yeah. And that's, I think the more vendors that get out there and the more vendors that are sharing educational knowledge that is not product centric, it's not selling, it's giving me knowledge in a specific area. Um, that's where basically value is added. Um, if it's basically educational, not product educational. Um, if I can do that in my drive home in the evening or my walk home in the evening, um, that I can decide, well, okay, now I have the time to do that. I will spend the time to read, to listen, uh, and think about the medium of how to do that as well, whether it being an article, whether it being mm-hmm. a book or a paper or a podcast or something audio um, or a yeah. video. Think about the medium in order to deliver that to your audience. Time is the most valuable asset. Let me decide when my time can be used for your resources and assets. I love that. This has been so helpful and, and insightful. You've already imparted so much wisdom to, to me and to the audience. Anything else you want to say to us before we sign off? For all, all marketers out there, get your network sorted on having access to security researchers who can help you get the message right. Make sure you, you, you validate and verify it before it goes out and make sure you do research on the audience before you send it to them. Don't just, you know, send things out basically unvalidated, unverified, get the right people to check it. 
that's the most crucial thing is more people like me mm -hmm. in your business. <laughs> so, um, we'll definitely make your organizations more value driven and, and less wasting people's time. Joseph, thank you so much for your time today. I'd love to have you back on. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And uh, for everyone out there, stay safe and uh, learn as much as you can, because that's what we're here to do is, is fulfill our lives the best. Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.